Matt Sullivan here to remind you to stop putting screens on your gutters. Better to schedule a free estimate with the local experts at Gutter Helmet so you stay off the ladder. Visit GutterHelmetIndy.com. With Gutter Helmet, you'll never clean your gutters again. GutterHelmetIndy.com. Kendall, you can find him on Twitter at Rob M. Kendall. My name is Casey. You can find me on Twitter as well, Casey Daniels 317 Of course, we're both on YouTube if you type in Kendall and Casey into the YouTube search bar. All right, Rob, let's talk about the latest Quinnipiac poll. It says that 51% of U.S. voters who plan to vote for President Joe Biden say they might change their candidate choice depending <laughs> on what happens leading up to the Democrat primary. Uh, like, uh, voting sucks. <laughs> I mean, like, just seriously, like voting at this stage of American existence sucks. When was the last time you were super excited to vote for someone, Casey? Mm, 2016, I was pretty excited. Oh, and that was what I was going to say. But I wasn't even excited to vote for Trump because I thought he'd do a great job. I was simply excited because, and we've been through this many times, I knew he would be the catalyst to pull the mask off what the government is. And he was successful at that. Before that, uh, I was excited to vote for Ron Paul for president. So mm-hmm. that was 2012, and nothing excited me more than to vote for myself, which I did very well in. So I can think of like three times in my life that I've been excited to vote for someone. I was excited to vote for the uh, indie mayoral primary. But were you really excited? Like, did you go in there going, gosh, I can't wait. I'm so, I mean, it wasn't like you were out advocating for one person. It wasn't like you were on here going, oh, my gosh, so-and-so's going to. I'm saying, like, where you are passionately engaged to go to the polls, to work a poll, to mm. knock on doors for someone. Yeah. No. I can think of maybe three times in my entire life, and I've been voting. What am I now? This will be 20, 21 years of voting. That's pathetic. <laughs> And I vote, you know, I'm a person who votes in every single election, uh, you know, I, even municipal elections. Mm-hmm. Just just the people who run this country just suck. And I mean, I think we did a pretty good job of laying an example of that out in the 1030 segment. Mm-hmm. You have just in many cases, very low IQ people who are very uncreative, who absolutely are just gutless cowards running this nation who are worried they're going to offend people inside the government or the connected people or whatever. And we must blame ourselves for that because we keep electing these people. Well, clearly loyalty to the two leading candidates right now, not written in stone, because roughly one third of Trump voters say they might walk away from him. But roughly half of Biden voters say that they may walk away from him. Well, and this was my point is if you are a Biden voter, and I get that there, it, it happens on both sides. Chances are you're being forced to listen to this program right now. Well, right, 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 right. <laughs> but it, there's nothing Joe Biden's done that you would go, oh my gosh, I can't wait to vote for Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And usually when that happens, the side that that happens to loses. Now, historical trends no longer apply because of mass mail and unaccountable voting, et cetera. But if you think about like, okay, Where's the momentum? Let's just go back the past 20 years, okay? 04. The Republicans under Bush were doing a phenomenal job of hoodwinking and lying to people that if you don't vote for Bush again, you're going to end up in a mushroom cloud. So everybody was like, great. And the Democrats were like, eh, Kerry, but we don't like Bush, so I guess we'll vote for Kerry. Who won? Bush. 08. McCain. Obama. Obama people were passionate. The Republican people were like, well, I really don't want Obama. Who won? 
Obama. Obama. Same thing in 2012. Mitt Romney, a total loser and a zero. People were like, man, Obama's destroying the country. I guess we better vote for Romney. Who won? Obama. Mm -hmm. The Obama people were still passionate. 2016, the Trump people were very passionate about Trump. The Democrats was like, oh, geez, Hillary. Mm. Uh, well, we can't have Bernie Sanders because he'll get boat race and we'll lose 50 Senate seats. So I guess we'll go with Hillary. Who won? Trump. Oh. Mm -hmm. 2020. I think the Trump people were largely deflated in 2020. And then, of course, you factor in the mass mail and unaccountable balloting. And I think, as weird as it sounds, the Biden people, the people who voted actually legally for Biden, were passionate. Were, it was a rare instance where they were so passionate about hating Trump that it, it fed them to Biden. Look, just the trends are when you are not passionate about voting for someone, if you're hard to get to the polls, mm -hmm. most people aren't going. Well, and passion isn't going to drive someone to vote against someone. It's got to be the vote for someone. And according to this latest Quinnipiac poll and a hypothetical matchup between Biden and Trump, they have Trump sitting at 47 percent and Biden is at 46 percent. Jim Croce, you know, Jim Croce, mm -hmm. uh, Time in a Bottle, uh, yep. Leroy Brown yeah. wrote a phenomenal uh, song. And I will say to this day that it is a Christmas song because it takes place during Christmas, although it is not like a Santa Claus is coming to town type of Christmas song. It's like the diehard of music? Well, it's like the most Jim Croce music. Yes, thank you. I see what you're doing there. Yes. And it's like most Jim Croce songs. It's a very sentimental song and it's mm -hmm. called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way. And maybe Kev will, will bless us with that as bumper music later on in the hour. But that's the story of American society and government. It's Jim Croce. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that we're, we're just totally disillusioned with our choices. I mean, how many people are really passionate about Trump? Like, I mean, obviously there are people inside the Republican Party who are super passionate about Donald Trump. No doubt. The polling reflects that. I'm talking in a general election. If, if, if people are forced to make a choice between Trump and Biden, mm -hmm. most people are not going to be, the majority of Americans, even if they cast a vote for Trump, are not going to be passionate about Donald Trump. He's just been too ineffective and worn too many people down. And I say this as someone who will totally vote for Donald Trump. So you're going to have two people that nobody wants and they're forced to make a choice and it doesn't have to be that way. We have 330 million people in this country and it just seems like one election after another at a local level, at a state level, the governor's candidates. Are you excited about any of these people on the Republican side running for governor? No. No. Curtis Hill probably has my vote right now because he will make Holcomb the most mad. That's a terrible way to have again to... again you're exactly. voting against something and well, absolutely if it were right now unless these guys come up with something new and improved and fun and a reason to be passionate absolutely right now my vote would go to rainwater in the in the general election because th there's there's no there's no compelling reason to be passionate about government across the board and you would think and i don't know what the answer is how do we get good people off the sidelines and into the ball game? Well, I thought we had with Ron DeSantis, but clearly he's melting at this point. <laughs> well, that's a great point, Casey. Phenomenal. You're both beautiful and brilliantly uh, brilliant and intelligent. Um, but total double whammy with oh, you. Now I got it all. That's a great point. Because we, I was very passionate yeah, about Ron DeSantis. Yeah, yeah. When I was sitting in Tallahassee and I saw him speaking during the pandemic, I thought, this guy's going to run for president. And he did. And he has. And I thought, oh, he's going to walk away with it. But he's not. For some reason. He's polling at 12% now. Yeah, isn't that... Boy, that's a great point. Even when, I guess, you give somebody, give the people 
I mean, the old saying we always use here is you get the government you deserve. In a, someone like a DeSantis, you get a rock-solid, reliable, conservative, liberty-minded person who actually has a record to run on on these things. Mm-hmm. And then when presented with it, people are just going, no, yeah. I, want, I want the guy who spent $5 trillion during COVID and promoted Fauci and told everybody to get the shot and bribe states to lock down. I just... I don't know, Casey. I don't know. 68% of Republican voters say they're firmly set on Donald Trump. And 29% say they still might change their candidate choice. What was the number? 68% of Republican voters say they are set with Donald Trump. Now, is this this set like, I'm set on who I'm dating and then I might change my mind in a week? mm Mm-hmm. Or is this set like- No, 68% say they're going to vote for Donald Trump no matter what happens. No matter what happens. Do you believe that? Because he's not getting 68% in the polls. No, like, he's not. So there's, I mean, there, so there's, there's, there's some sort of disconnect Disconnect, maybe, right. maybe the question, it all, it all depends on how the question was phrased. Maybe the question was phrased, if you're voting for Donald Trump, are you set? If you mm-hmm. were to vote for, it all depends, and that's the way all polling is. Maybe yeah. that that's what it means. But either way, it's probably going to be Trump against Biden, and that's not very... They also asked, they also asked about age, which I think is really interesting because Biden and Trump are so close in age. The question was, do you think Joe Biden is too old to effectively serve for another four years as president? 68% said yes. The same question was asked, do you think Donald Trump is too old to effectively serve another four years? Only 34% said yes. What were the numbers again for Biden and Trump? Biden, 68% said too he old. was too old. Yeah. Trump, 34. Okay, so this is interesting because tr- Biden is only like three years right. or four years, maybe he's a little, four, three or four years older than Trump. And then what's the like cutoff? And I get that Trump is infinitely more together than Biden mm-hmm. and his mental faculties are a gajillion times ahead of Biden, the way he moves and plays golf and all those other sort of things. Just, but like, what what's your number then? Like, is 80 the number? Like, do we just pick a number? Because if it wasn't like, are they mentally capable? It was, are they too old? Well, Trump's really old too. Mm-hmm. But he seems to have it more together. Now, when it came to a national crisis, better job at responding to a national crisis, Trump does better as well. 51% say he does better than Biden. And clearly we've seen Biden in action with his tour to Vietnam, what he looks like on a global scale. (laughs) Um, So right now they've got Trump polling at 62%. And I just, I'm amazed by this fall from Ron DeSantis and I can't figure it out because he has gone in February from 36% to 25% to 18% to now 12%. And this is a, to bring this conversation full circle, so much of the way people vote is on their feel Mm -hmm. and with their heart Mm -hmm. instead of their head. And look, Ron DeSantis, for all his great job as a governor, has been a largely terrible presidential candidate in his ability, his failure of the ability to connect on a personal level with people. And I am the worst person to ask about this because I don't need to like the person I elect. I don't need to hang out with them. I don't need to think they're a great man or woman. I simply care about the policies and that's it. But obviously, clearly, the advantage Trump has over DeSantis is that he is... He, well, clearly Trump is connecting. Sure, he absolutely And many does. people think that DeSantis is a fake, a rhino. He's just saying the lines. But when it comes to actually governing... Who do you think would do a better job? Well, okay, and so, and you are not, um, you're not a good person to ask about this because you've been happily taken for many, many years mm-hmm. since the Clinton administration. So <laughs> you're obviously very well kept and taken. But 
it's like I'm sure you have had friends along the way who good good looking women, mm-hmm. successful careers, whatever, and they have multiple choice in men, and you as the friend are saying, take the stable guy who might be a six in the looks and maybe a you know a seven in the career. But he is Mr. Stable and Mr. Faithful, and you guys can run right into history together. And I'm sure you've had friends who have said, Casey, I hear what you're saying, but look at Fabio over here. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, but Fabio don't got no job, and Fabio's had like six girlfriends in the past year. Yeah, but look at Fabio. And that is sort of where we're at as a society with our voters, where people get enamored with characteristics and traits that don't create you know, sustainable, long-term success, or it creates success harder to achieve in the, in the governing process. And that's, that's where we're at. Fabio is able to pull the passion. Yeah. Is what you're saying. You're absolutely right. And that's what Trump is doing. You're right. It's 18 minutes after 11. We're going to hear more from Ron DeSantis coming up. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Casey, you're ridiculously wealthy. <laughs> I love how you exaggerate, but go ahead with I'm, your thought. I mean, I'm surprised you would even agree to work in a studio in these conditions, given <laughs> your vast wealth. But right. if you'll uh, just placate me for a moment, mm-hmm. I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, what is 12 times 3? It's 36. You're amazing. You're rich. You're beautiful. You're smart. You have everything <laughs> together. I have no idea why you're here. How would you like to get a 36% bonus when you invest your money? Well, I would, Rob, and I'm here for you. Ah, uh, yeah. So if you invest a hundred thousand dollars you get a thirty six thousand dollar bonus if you invest two hundred thousand dollars you get a seventy two thousand dollar bonus even to someone stupid rich like you that's got to be enticing <laughs> it's kendall and casey and not only can you get a 36 percent bonus you also get a competitive return an average of seven percent a year for the past 10 years plus your money is backed by one of the largest insurance companies in the world if you'd like to learn more call bill demery he's your retirement guy right here in indy at 317-932-9912 this this 36% bonus won't last long. So call 317-932-9912. 317-932-9912. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It is not to blame. Just give it a minute. Okay. You just totally put your hand up. Well, you were going to talk. I was going to talk. It is a talk radio show. talking right now. (laughs) Isn't this song beautiful? It's gorgeous. It's fantastic. So is that a Christmas song? If you... We had this conversation. Was it last segment we had this conversation? Yes. It was last segment. Jim Croce wrote this song. It doesn't have to be that way. It takes place at Christmas time, but it's, there's nothing about it that's Christmas. It's not, you know, Santa Claus is mm-hmm. coming to town. I mean, it's it the the song is a love song that takes place during Christmas time, mm-hmm. and the scenery is Christmas. Yeah, it's like uh, Dan Fogelberg's "Same Old Lang Syne." Right, snow it's... is falling Christmas Eve. Sure, are those Christmas songs? Sure. If really? You, if you think Die Hard is a Christmas movie, yeah, those are good, Christmas that's songs. That's a good point, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah, if I've got a, which it is because it takes place at Christmas. So, yeah. It, it's just like Come Monday's a, a Labor Day weekend song. 
That's like another great point, isn't it? <laughs> right? Okay, I, you've, you've sold me on it, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, a mural of poetic imagery right It there. is. It doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> what we have should never have ended. I'll be dropping by today. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Jim Croce was a great songwriter. What? You know who's <laughs> celebrating a birthday today? A mural of poetic imagery. <laughs> it's, it, it's a, it is a uh, mural of poetic imagery. Uh, Tony Kinnett, come here. Sit down. Are you, we getting air checked well, by Tony Kennett? Tony Kennett is here. Of course, the Tony Kennett show begins at some point yeah. uh, here in the We've very near future. <laughs> at some point. I'm actually the one who's responsible for the delays because I want it to be like the way that I want it. Yeah. You're that kind of a guy. You want things the way you want them. Oh, yeah. And like, so, I, like I, I desperately tried to not have a co-host. He didn't want me. Time the job Look what happened. Up. Well, the show would have ran for two weeks and would have been awful. What right. my show's going to be? Starting at the end of September. <laughs> what are you upset about? You're upset that we are praising Jim Croce... No, I'm not upset. I just wanted to make fun of the way he called it poetic imagery, like he's some kind of lame English teacher. But it's, isn't that a great description? It though? is. No, it's perfect. It's wonderful. <laughs> I'm, I'm just being honest. <laughs> yeah, here. it's no, it's wonderful. Um, hey, uh, I know this is impromptu. We can either have you on tomorrow, or I can talk to you about Hamilton Southeastern when we come back. What would you like to do? I didn't know you were going to be here. Oh, I, I'm on for Tony Katz next hour. We can oh. talk about that whenever you want. Casey, is that all right? Sure. I mean, I really don't want to have to work the remainder of the show. So okay, we've got a duel in the last segment. And then... Well, then let's do this because I definitely want you to hear the Clay, oh, do it. Yes, the Clay Travis take. Yes. Because for a long time, since I've known you, Rob, you have uh, said how podcasting is so much easier than hosting a daily radio show. Oh, absolutely. Show. Not even close. And there's been a Barrett News Media Conference, uh, Barrett News uh, publication, and they, they held a sports media conference for several years. This year, they launched a news talk version of it. They had a lot of different people. Uh, Tommy Laren was there. Tony Katz down in Nashville oh, the past couple days. We weren't invited. Um, but Clay Travis from Outkick yes. was there, and he was on a panel, and he was speaking about how hosting radio is much more difficult than doing a podcast and I thought this was right up your alley so I wanted to share it with you 15 hours a week so we're on live 12 to 3 Eastern Monday through Friday and before that I did 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern solo 15 hours a week sports talk radio for Fox Sports Radio if you told me now hey we want you to do a podcast needs to be you know daily podcast almost none of them are much more than an hour I would feel like I was stealing money. It's not live. Um, if I have a bad segment, I just restart. If yep. a guest doesn't show up, yep. I don't have to fill time or kill time. Yep. Um, if a news story breaks that is super important, I can just go back and scrap whatever I started with and come back and start anew. I swear I did not write this for him. Every single good radio host yeah. can do a killer podcast. Uh-huh. I don't think most podcast hosts can do a killer radio show. Uh, Did you pay him to say that? No, but that's exactly what you've been saying since I have met you. Oh my gosh, that is just wonderful. And I it's know. nice it came from someone far richer and more successful than me. Maybe <laughs> people will begin to believe how hard it is to do what we do. Uh-huh. All right, you want you, you okay to talk about what's going on in Hamilton Southeastern? Yeah, we can start right now. Uh, all right, take a break. Yeah, we got to do the news first, but then Tony Kinnett joins us. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. It is 1133. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. And for the second time in three years, Hamilton Southeastern Schools looking for a new superintendent. Okay, so Tony Kennett joins us now. He, you're filling in for Tony Katz today is my understanding. So That's the truth. Good luck with all that. Um, here is my question about the superintendent. And nobody's been able to provide me uh, an answer. 
um, Yvonne Stokes is her name. Mm-hmm. Yep. She, they're saying she resigned. Yep. But yet there's supposedly some sort of payout on her way out the door. Yep. I've never heard of someone quitting and then getting a payout. Now, I've heard certainly of town managers, superintendents, whatever, they get fired. Hey, my contract says you got to pay me for four months, blah, blah, blah. I've never heard of someone quitting and getting a, separ- a separation. What the hell's going on? I'm really surprised you've never heard of this because in the political sphere, this is incredibly common. This is actually what happened when I left Franklin News Foundation and, and basically eventually went to work for the Heritage Foundation is that I was told, look, no, we, you know, you're too conservative to be here. We don't like it. So we're going to sign these NDAs mm-hmm. and then nice. you're going to take this payout and then mm-hmm. we're all going to walk away and be happy. But why, why is, would a government agency do this? If she because it's it, is cheaper, from it is far cheaper from my estimation to pay her the $180,000, $200,000 to finish her contract than to resume a massive racial harassment investigation because Dr. Stokes walked around schools, invited people to her office, did this in observations, and harassed any staff who looked white. And when I say looked white because there was a Hispanic staff member who she lectured about white privilege who is less white than a lot of people who don't, who may have Wait. darker skin tones. Wait, per se. are you saying there's some sort of ongoing investigation. There was an ongoing racial harassment investigation uh, that was taking place. There was a report that was done when Julie Chambers, who is now an an attorney in that area, uh, and also who hates me very, very much, um, (laughs) when Chambers was in in that school board and they closed it down and didn't say we're not releasing the findings. They said in in a school board meeting, we're we're not talking about this anymore. We're not even going to talk about this anymore. We're done. And that is how things ended. So the new school board comes up and with them, remember, a new law firm. It's not Churchill and Antrim anymore. You can't sweep things under the rug. And so this this is all speculation from this point. From that point, you would assume that a a new law firm, like any new legal person or accountant, would say, all of the unresolved stuff, we have to get that resolved right now so we're not responsible for it. One of those things is Dr. Wokes, excuse me, Dr. Stokes' racial harassment investigation and charges, which, by the way, is not just from conservatives. There are left-leaning members on that staff who I've spoken to who said on the phone to me, I don't like you, but I don't like Dr. Stokes more. Tony Kennett's our guest. We're talking about Hamilton Southeastern schools. Okay, but... Here's the problem, and this is why people listen to the show, and this is why people listen to you, because you get all the information. None of this is coming out in public. Don't no. they have an obligation to tell taxpayers, no. we're spending your tax money? Yeah, at this point, this is just eroding public trust even more. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, look, I, whatever. I blame the school board for part of this, too, because these guys and girls ran on transparency, and this big thing is happening, and it takes people like you to come on these powerful airwaves and tell the public because they're not doing it. So I want to make this perfectly clear, and and I am more than happy to criticize school boards at any time. It looks like in this situation, again, when you have someone who who resigns and also takes a payment to resign, and then I've I've read her resignation letter, very vague, everything very vague. There were NDAs that were signed, always, mm-hmm. every single case like that. And the reason that NDAs are signed, Doctor Stokes does not want to be dragged through a very public racial harassment investigation at a time when Fishers is not putting up with this crap anymore. Her microaggression thing alone put the school board in serious jeopardy of Title IX lawsuits. But but how do they get away with these NDAs with government stuff? It's our money. It's it's our re- resources. And I'm saying this if you live in the. 
Fisher. Well, it is our money because state tax money goes goes to pay because to these the state systems. was never intended to fully employ large scale corporations of individuals. And so when you do, you have to somehow blend the corporate private rights of an in- individual to sign NDAs and contracts paired against the fact that the taxpayer is paying for it. This is why the government shouldn't be involved in public schools, because the problem is, is that you are right and the school board is right here because it makes sense to save the taxpayers money and do the NDA situation and not go through this and yet again, another national scandal. And if that's what the school board has chosen to, again, I am speculating that uh, the school board members that I've spoken to politely declined to comment um, because they can't. <laughs> They're not allowed to like talk to me off the record on a lot of this stuff. And then additionally, you're right, because there should not be government taxpayer funded initiatives that are kept from the taxpayer. This is why the government shouldn't be involved in public schools, because when you do, you have to blend. It's like the American healthcare system. Yeah. When you blend socialism and capitalism, yeah. you get this unholy amalgamation that makes everyone mad. OK, real quick. Uh, Tony Kennett's our guest. You can hear him today. He's filling in for Tony Katz. These. Uh Handle Southeastern School Board members ran on being super conservative and they've done a lot of good things, but they have agreed and they are wholeheartedly behind this continuing this referendum out there. And some of them are mad at me for ripping them a new ass because to me, if you're feeding the beast, you're continuing to feed the problem. Unlimited funds to these public school systems and uh, certainly violating the, the tax caps is a huge issue. And they're like, well, you just don't get it. You don't understand it. No, part of being conservative is not just socially conservative. It's fiscally conservative. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, these super conservative people are kissing the ring finger on going above the tax caps. So I've heard uh, a lot of different things from individuals regarding this referendum, what it contains, what it doesn't contain. Where's the line? Do you ask for a referendum at all? Should the referendum be reduced? Is the referendum to accomplish different things? And I'm going to, first of all, be very upfront that I have not researched the full extent of this referendum, despite what the Liberals and Fishers and Hamilton County and Carmel and all of the other areas around Indianapolis think I do not spend all of my time worrying about Hamilton Southeastern. So I, I I don't know all of these. I would suggest that the state law should be amended yeah. so that school board members have more freedom to speak publicly without saying, oh, you're violating quorum law. <laughs> Let If there's really going to be transparency, that starts with allowing school board members, a couple of them, to come on the air and talk about this with you. Yeah. All right. Tony Kennett, you're the best. Coming up today at noon. At some point, you'll have your show on this radio station. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know when. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's take a break. Mm-hmm. When we come back, Abdul will be with us. We're going to talk about the NDFOP saying that and hogs that both suck. We'll talk about the governor's race heating up and a whole bunch more. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. What's a man supposed to do when he's down and out of work? I need a job, I'm out of work. 93 WIBC, it is the Kindle Casey Show. I'm Rob Casey Sarah, and oh, look who it is. <laughs> he's an author, he's a broadcaster, he's a provocateur. He is both the most beloved and despised man in all of Indiana politics and government, the great, great Abdul Akim Shabazz. How are you, my friend? If you can't have him love him, have him hate you. But as long as they're talking about you, that's all that matters. Isn't that, isn't that, is that the best intro you ever get? It's the one that I do for you every single week <laughs> yes, on this you program. Do, uh, okay, so uh, we talked about this to start off the week. There was the big Hamilton County fall dinner, 600 
150 uh, very engaged Republicans there to hear five of the six candidates for governor speak. You were in the room. You have all the actual audio of the speeches up at IndyPolitics.org. What is your takeaway from the five candidates for governor in one room? Well, in a nutshell, what it was is basically it's what's called an elevator speech. Yeah. You, got, you got five minutes to, to make your sales pitch. Uh, it was Curtis Hill, uh, former Attorney General, Suzanne Crouch, Mike Braun, uh, Eric Doden, and uh, Brad Chambers, both former Secretaries of Commerce. Um, I thought Curtis uh, did well appealing to sort of the, the to, to the ideological conservative activist, activist, activist with a, with a call in all caps and yeah. and twenty Roman font Roman font letter Roman yeah. font letters. Uh, I thought uh, I thought uh, Brad Chambers did fine, like I said, introducing himself to, to the audience. Uh, I would say if you, if you had to say who the who quote unquote the winners were so to speak, I thought everybody I thought everybody did fine. Uh, Curtis did have a little bit of a he did he did his Mitch McConnell impersonation. Yeah, I heard kind that. Of, kind of paused for a few. Is seconds. that a bad move to do at a bit not, like no, that? I, I would I, I would say to, to the activists in that room, no, because they He's all right. Yeah, it was all right. Everybody else was kind of like really seriously. Like Tony a, Tony Katz was kind of critical of that, and I'm kind of with you. It's like everybody in that room has probably got an opinion already, so you're not like you know running the risk of really offending someone but tony thought it was a really bad move yeah i would say i'll say about half the crowd thought it was like uh, okay whatever so if you don't know what we're talking about curtis hill was giving his speech and he said i'm not gonna have a mitch mcconnell moment and then he like froze and was like glitching and kind of people the person oh my gosh is he okay and then he you know obviously people got the the thing which is mitch mcconnell is frozen twice and whatever yeah now now as far as the tech lines went uh, Curtis did go after Suzanne Crouch and Eric Holcomb about uh, the mask mandate, and he got a uh, applause from everyone's applause from that everyone's again from the activist crowd. Uh, but Suzanne said something I thought was interesting. We're going to ask her about this when we when we sit down and chat with her next week. Uh, she said she's going to offer bold leadership. She won't yeah. she won't just sit behind her desk to get reelected. Oh, so I was like, huh? That this kind of made a little note of myself. Like, yeah. you talk about Eric or like what exactly? Explain that line a little bit, a little bit more. Any odds she ever says anything bad about Holcomb ever? Will um, she ever say anything bad about Holcomb ever, which would win her a whole bunch of votes? I I, w- I would say when when you when you when you att- when you're when you're vice president or lieutenant governor because you, you've always got this issue. How do you distinguish yourself from the administration that you were a part of? Yeah, because my thing is like, weren't you a part of this and and that whole thing? Yeah, which why well, I would argue if you if you if if I was lieutenant governor running, I was like, hey, have I had disagreements with the governor? Sure, but I always kept those private. But the governor was the governor; he made a decision. When I become governor, I will do things a little bit differently. Like I probably do this, not, not to criticize folks in the past. Just here's what I would just do differently. Yeah, I'd be like John Lovitz on the. Crit- I'd just come out and go, it stinks, and uh, go from there. Or, or I can't believe I'm losing to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Abdul is our guest. We're talking about the big Hamilton County fall dinner. Uh, 650 folks there, huge crowd, and all five candidates for governor on the Republican side were speaking. Now, uh, we had two people reporting live from the event for me. I had my very fabulous friend April Gregory, who you know very well. And we had Micah there as well. And they both said the same thing, which I thought was interesting. They said they thought between like 30 and 40% of the people were undecided in that room who they were going to vote for. That blew my mind because it's sort of like the ultimate group of party insiders is that accurate and are you surprised it's that many people uh actually i was surprised the number was that low i'll probably say about half the audience was oh, wow. undecided and the oh, other wow. ones sort of split the split the audience up uh respectively so like half of the people in that room you thought walked in going i don't know who i'm gonna vote for 
Um, yeah, because they, like I said, uh, some people talk, we like we talk about like Jim uh, Marathon on Santa's happenings. They want to kick the tires a little bit. It's like you got you know five cars. You want this one for speed, this one for yeah. mileage. You know, this one because it's got a sunroof for my wife. I want this car because it's purple. Yeah, I mean, it, it just depends on, on on what you like at the time. So, and actually, I would argue being undecided this early is not necessarily a bad thing. No, I just was shocked because it seems like that the, the when the party insiders get together, it's team sport. Like you know, for whatever reason, I am for this guy or. For for whatever reason, I'm for that guy, or or it could be just team undecided. Yeah, I, I, so that's interesting. So there are a lot of votes out there, even inside the diehard Republican sphere. You think to be one? Yeah, I, I would say I would. I want to say the 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 latest internal polling I've, I've heard about had Mike Braun at about maybe forty percent ish and yeah. some change. But it's but no, but it's up to win a primary of, of eight million people. Sure. Yeah. But but at the same time though that means there are a lot of undecided folks out there that can make a difference one way or the other. Uh, Abdul is our guest. We're talking about the uh, Republican governor's primary. Uh, the I have to give you credit, which I hate to do, but you are absolutely right. Uh, Brad Chambers now running his uh, his ads. He's using his vast wealth to uh, blanket the airwaves. If you're buying time during Sunday night football, you have, as Jeff Spicoli said in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Buku Dolores, and he was running ads during Sunday night football. And you said what the ad was. Gonna to be and it was exactly what you said the ad was going to be it was my parents so I'm, I'm brad chambers i'm running for governor my parents told me the value of hard work i grew up on a farm i started my own business when I, I mean the, the the narrative basically writes itself i brought thousands of jobs to indiana i'm gonna do the same thing for you but i'm not a politician i'm an outsider everybody's an outsider okay? uh we were chuckling on state house happenings because they said uh, chambers was the head of iedc doden was the head of iedc they're both running the we're the outsiders campaign there ain't nobody who resembles an outsider that gets to be the head of the IEDC. Exactly. And, and, and it's kind of like it, 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 it's, it's sort of like what I said with the Trump scenario when Trump said I'm an outsider. Well, you don't build tall skyscrapers in New York City and Chicago yeah. without, unless you know how the game is played. Yeah. So the outsider, yeah, sure. Yeah, this Why is, not? No, there's just no way. I mean, it's just, these ads are ridiculous. Do people buy these ads or do they chuckle at them like us and go, ha ha, you're funny, go away? I, I think the ads are for the, the undecided, I would say the, the undecided but maybe slightly informed voter. Okay, I kind of know who you are but really yeah. know a whole lot about you, so it's kind of like a first date. Yeah, re- real quick, I didn't want to make sure we had time to touch on this. The NDFOP came out and Rick Snyder and the group over there said in the mayor's race, we dislike both of these candidates equally, so for the first time ever, we're not endorsing anyone. And this is a colossal failure by Jefferson Shreve to be running against Joe Hogsett, who is universally loathed by police in the city, and did not get that endorsement. Um, I, I, I do think it does hurt Jefferson in a sense that uh, – because when, 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 we both spoke to Rick Snyder uh, from a little bit of a different perspective, and Rick had said that Abdul, we did, they didn't vote for, they didn't endorse Hawks because of the last four years and his crime out of control, but they didn't endorse uh, Jefferson either because Jefferson offered no brand new bold yeah. ideas. Now, now, now uh, Rick did say this could probably change if one of the candidates changed their mind or changed their position, they could probably do an endorsement. I think that's probably about likely as happening as only me becoming How a grand bad race. would that look? Hey, I didn't get that FOP endorsement. Here's my new policy proposal. It's new and improved. Now now with tent control. So, yeah, good luck with that one. Um, that's like a freebie to be running against Joe Hogsett. That should have been a freebie endorsement from the police. And to not get that, what a just giant middle finger right in his face. And we'll be talking to Jefferson, I want to say, next week. So we'll be asking about the FOP endorsement. I want to ask you real quick about something very specific, and I think you're uniquely qualified because you've covered, covered this city for years. You had a crime proposal as a candidate for mayor. Uh, Rick Snyder was very critical of 
Shreve, I guess, trying to act like the public safety director, reinstating that with some sort of silver bullet. And Snyder just basically said, look, if you're just creating another layer of government, it doesn't actually help us police the streets. I thought that was pretty interesting. I'd kind of thought in the past that they were really in favor of a public safety director, but it doesn't appear so. I thought it was interesting perspective because uh, because what Rick told me was that we we don't want another layer of 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 bureaucracy between us and the police department. On that, me and my good friend, Mr. Snyder, I have to respectfully disagree because of mayor, I'm trying to run the whole city. I need a, I need a public safety director because a public safety director isn't just for police. It's for fire. It's for EMS. And it is, it's for Homeland Security. It's, it's for lots of other things. It's for E911. It's for things other than the police department itself. Uh, you're doing polling. Is that right? Uh, yeah, we we'll, uh, started doing some polling in a couple of weeks. We got our questions all good to go. We got our finances, our donors all good to go. And so we'll start uh, polling uh, next week, and then we'll release the results uh, the week of October. Third, uh, right before early voting began. Okay, now I, I know, and then we'll let you. We'll get you out of here with this. I know you're going to try to not answer this question, but I want you to answer this question. If you had to guess what your polling says right now, how Shreve has no chance, right? I would say, I would say, I would say, from what I've heard from from internal organizations, that Hogshead is ahead, but Shreve is closing the gap. No kidding. Yeah. Boy, that would be too bad because I mean he's awful. Yeah, but those but those are internal campaign polls. Oh, so sure. so ours will be the first independent poll okay. uh, done of the mayor's race. Very good. The one and only Abdullah Kim Shabazz. Find him at indiepolitics.org. Are you working this weekend? Uh, technically yes, but also but uh, we are, we're printed by you football. So I have all my regular interviews at indiepolitics.org. But next week we got the full slate. Uh, okay, of program. All right, I've never seen a man get more for doing this. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it for us today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, great job, Casey, as always. Great job, Kevin. Stick around. Tony Katz coming up next. Have a great rest of your day. It's Kendall and Casey Show, 93 WIBC.